Good morning. It is good to see you today. Um, I hope you're doing well, surviving all these uh, temperatures in the high 80s. It's excru- excruciating, isn't it? It's like I, I realized yesterday, as hot as it felt, that we, are, we spoil quickly. We spoil quickly. I want to welcome you today to week two of me, my selfie, and I. That's, that's what we began digging into last week. And I'm telling you up front, we're dealing with one of the toughest topics that we will ever deal with. However, we want to be really clear, we are not bashing selfies in this series. We're not. This is not a selfie bashing uh, project. In fact, we're really wanting to have some fun um, with the selfies in this deal. So we started a little contest a little contest that's going to run for several weeks where you send in your selfies, a winner will be chosen, and um, there's even some cash money involved in, in that deal. And so, without further delay, I know you're just anxious to know who the winner is for week two of me, my selfie, and I. The winner is Mr. Lane Hernandez in the running of the bulls. I think it's what we're going to, we were going to tag it. I think it's the running of the bulls. All right. No, no animals were harmed in the shooting of this photo. Well, maybe they were. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that. But just having some fun. Good job, Lane. We want you to be creative. Um, so now Matt, who won last week, and then Lane wins this week. They go into the, the winner's circle. There'll be one more winner next week, and then they'll all three go together. And, and I think you guys get to kind of cho- get to be a part of choosing who's going to be uh, the grand prize winner, all right, which is, which is quite an extraordinary title to hold, all right? So um, send in the selfies this week. Here we go, week three. Uh, don't forget, your family and Jesus will see them, all right? But, but, but send them in. Um, I'm, it's like, can you take a selfie in an eclipse? You think it'll show up? I don't know, but I'm, I figure we're going we're gonna to see. The point of this series is not that selfies are bad, but the point of the series is that a selfie life is bad. A selfie life is bad when you become the center of the picture life doesn't work when you think life is all about you it doesn't work and it actually becomes something quite ugly the bible describes that kind of life as a life of pride and that's what we're wrestling with pride the the bible clearly states god hates pride Right? I don't know how much clearer he, he can be. This is not just that, you know, God, yeah, he really doesn't want you to be prideful because it's not the best thing for you. No, God hates pride. He hates it. And the, the key is it, it's easy to see in somebody else, but it's really difficult at times to spot in yourself. And so what we're saying is there may be far more victims of pride in our lives than we even realize. Now, I love the timing of this series. One, I love the timing of this series in relation to financial peace. Um, Last week, at least at two of the campuses, financial peace wrapped up 
Um, th- today, I think it wraps up at, at Adrian, who was one week behind because of baptism celebration and all that stuff. But I'm saying to those of you who marched through that deal, good job of not allowing something like your pride to keep you from getting what you need. Because it's a perfect example. It's a perfect example where we could buy into, hey, yeah, I'm struggling in some things in my finances, but you know what? I I, I think I'm all right. I I think I'm all right. And I'm certainly not going to show up in some room where it makes it look like I don't know what I'm doing with my money. I'm saying pride could actually have kept you away from learning more about what you can do with your resources, from helping you to heal from those things that cause pain for maybe you and your family, and now you're starting to dig your way out and you learn some things that you've never been able to put into practice before, good job of not letting pride lie to you. Good job. I love the timing of this series as it pertains to all the students going back to school. I'm sorry, but it's time to go back to school. And and I'm not, I am not exaggerating when I tell you this is one of the times of the year that my heart aches the most. My heart aches because I at least understand a little bit, and that's what scares me is I don't even understand at all, but I understand a little bit of what our students deal with when they walk back into a year of school. Because for many of them, it really does become about survival. A survival of the fittest. Where you just try to come out the other side looking as good as you can, which, which often means that really dictates who you're able to hang out with, who you're able to associate with. And I want to challenge our students today and beyond to at least stop long enough to think about how, how Jesus sees and loves your school. As a Jesus follower, I want you to stop and think about that. If Jesus followed the pattern that we see him walk in the Bible, who would Jesus actually hang out with at your school? If he followed the pattern that we see in the Bible, who would he follow or who would he hang out with? In your school. He ain't following nobody, right? Let's make that clear. But who would he hang out with in in your school? And I'm saying it might not be who everybody else wants to hang out with. So many people in this world look down on other people. I mean, doesn't it drive you crazy sometimes? So many people that look down on other people, and I'm not just picking on schools. I, I get it. Some of you work in that kind of of uh, arena. Some of you, it's within your own family. It's like you can't even escape your, your own flesh and blood at times where, where people look down on one another and let's just be honest and go, come on, you've been in church where it happened before. Where there's been this perception at times of who's in and who's out and who's connected and who's not. And I want to challenge our students 
as you begin a new year, let a distinguishing mark be of you as a heart of life group of students that you unquestionably love one another. And that you don't just speak to one another at church, but when you see one another in hallways at school, you speak and you love. That you don't just connect in certain places, but then when you're in the different arena, you, you kind of can only associate with some. No, I, I'm challenging you to love one another and then let that love overflow to the people to which you are called to connect. I, I get it. Um, that can be painful. But Jesus was really clear on that part. It really can be a struggle, but Jesus was really clear on that part. I am not saying compromise. Loving people doesn't require you joining them in their sin. Loving people doesn't require that you condone them in their sin. Such was the case with the guy that we're studying in this book called Daniel. I want to show you another story today. Daniel is the book, if you want to find it in your Bible. Daniel was a prophet of God. And really what we're doing in this series is we're taking a look at about three of the four kings that Daniel served under. All right? Now, the situation is the Israelites, Daniel's people, are in a major timeout. Anybody institute timeouts in your household? Yeah? Yeah? We grew up with timeouts, but it was also attached to other things, right? Yeah, like what you buckle around your waist, right? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about, and some, some don't. That's all right. I'm saying timeouts, however it looks in your household. Um, they are in a major timeout, all right? And the reason they're in a timeout is because in their pride, they attempted to shut God out. Israel would say, thanks God for the advice, but we think we know how to do this best. God, thanks for your help, but we got this one. And in their pride, they attempted to shut God out. You can't shut God out. And so God allowed the neighboring powers around them to conquer them. And last week, we saw the first king that was in play. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of what? Babylon. That's right. He was the king of Babylon, which think modern-day Iraq. That's what we're dealing with here, the geographical territory. He took the best of the best of the Israelites, marched them to Babylon, remember, and his goal was to make them Babylonians. New names, new haircuts, new everything. And what is, what is really kind of sad to me is that of all the worshipers of God before Nebuchadnezzar comes in, all the Israelites, all that young generation, only four of them are mentioned. I don't know, there's a sad aspect to me that only, only four of them are mentioned who stay faithful to God. Maybe there were more, I don't know, but four of them are given. Daniel is so successful, though, staying faithful to God, he becomes an advisor to the king. And in between last week's story and this week's story, which is Daniel 4 to Daniel 5, about 30 years pass. All right, that often happens in the Bible. You kind of got to really look at it. So about 30 years pass between last week's story and today's story where we pick up with a king named Belshazzar. Belshazzar. It's like, couldn't, couldn't anybody just have like Bob 
right? No, all, all, I mean, all the names are long, and all of them got a lot of names, a lot of letters. Belshazzar is actually Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. It's his grandson. Now, when you read the text, sometimes it will refer to him as a son, but it's just a literary way of saying, hey, he is a direct descendant of Nebuchadnezzar. He is actually his grandson, but he is just as arrogant as Nebuchadnezzar was back in his early day. The event that surround today's story, we know exactly when it happened because we're told from outside of biblical sources it happens on October the 12th, 538 B.C. It was the moment when the Persian army surrounded Babylon. And now now it's Babylon who's on the inside. The Persian army is is attempting to take over. They want to break down the walls. And King Belshazzar is saying, don't worry about it. Have you seen the walls around here? Don't worry about it. We got food. We we got food that'll last us longer than they're going to want to hang around. Don't worry about it. Have you seen this place? Who does that sound like? Yeah, his grandpa. He throws a party. Check it out. Daniel chapter 5, verse 1. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, which again, it's his grandfather, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Now, Grandpa Nebuchadnezzar had a practice that when he would conquer a place, he would take all of their idols from their place of worship And he would drag those idols to the Babylonian place of worship, and he would place those idols underneath the Babylonian gods. I mean, it was a show of power. Only problem is, when they conquer Israel, there's no idols in the place of worship. Why? Because it's kind of one of the big ten, right? No other gods before me. Israel doesn't worship other gods. They worship the one true God. There's no idols for him to drag home. But there are these really cool cups. As in solid gold. Really cool bowls. I mean, some really cool stuff. He's like, all right, let's take them. Verse 3. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives, his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Just so you know, that phrase, as they drank, it is, it is literally a continuous tense. The Bible does that a lot where you're given words that have a continual tense. In other words, this is not a toast. This is a full-fledged, ongoing, who knows how many hours party. All right, this is all-in party. That, that's what it describes. Now, here's, here's why this matters. Back in Moses' day, back in Moses' day, God began 
to put more paint on the picture about where he was going with all this, what he was doing with all this, when he instructed them to build what was called the tent of meeting. It was the place they came to worship. That tent of meeting would eventually become a permanent structure that Solomon would build, the temple. And inside that temple, there were holy things. That there were things that were in the temple that were only to be used in the temple because they were only to be used for the worship of God. They were set apart for that. That's what the word holy means, to be set apart. And so when we talk about holiness, it means to be set apart for God. Ooh, anybody notice what's going on here? King Belshazzar is taking something that God declares to be holy, and he is using it as unholy. We better come back to that one. Verse 5. Suddenly, here we go. Some of you have heard this story. You just didn't know this is where it was from. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. Appropriate response? Yeah. Yeah. Come on, you're sitting in your living room this evening, and a hand appears and begins to write on the walls of your living room. Right? I don't care if that hand is a tiny little cute pudgy baby hand, right? If a hand starts writing on the wall, you're afraid. Appropriate response. Verse 7. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. I think there's something very powerful here. As college football season approaches, I'd like to point out the significance of purple and gold in the Bible. Okay, maybe, maybe not, but it's there, all right? It's there, purple and gold. The point was nobody could interpret the dream. Nobody could interpret the dream. But the queen remembers, there's this guy named Daniel, and he did a little dream work for your grandpa, I remember. Maybe, maybe Daniel could help. Verse 17, let's jump to verse 17. Daniel's going to help. Daniel's called in. Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. This ain't Daniel's first rodeo. He's not in it for the goods. He's not in it for the prizes. But he says, yeah, I'll help you. Verse 18, your majesty, the most high God, gave, there's that word again, your grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. He gave it to him. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. 
Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from the people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets them over anyone he wishes. Now, if you were here last week, that was the story. You know it. That, that was the story. God is serious about this pride thing. He's serious. Verse 22, but you, Belshazzar, You, his son, you, his grandson, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Now, a lot of years have passed since that happened. But he's like, Belshazzar, you know the story. You know the story. You've been sitting around the table. All right, you were a kid, you heard what happened. And maybe, come on, maybe, maybe it was his grandpa who actually would talk to him about that story. Because I'm saying if grandpas were ever going to talk to their grandkids about stuff, this might be the kind of stuff you'd want to talk to your grandkids about. Because you sure wouldn't want them to learn this lesson the way you had to learn it. You'd rather them just hear your story and go, oh. So maybe he had heard it even from his grandpa. Verse 23. Instead... You've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. What a line. You have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, drank from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand, but you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. Belshazzar, when, when you live in pride, you are setting yourself up against the God of heaven. God sent the hand. Verse 25, this is the inscription that was written. Many, many, tekel parson. And here is what these words mean. Many, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, which is actually just the singular word for the plural parson, same word. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Um, somebody's sort of just broken this down and described it this way. Um, many is God saying, I am. Belshazzar, I am in control and you are not. Tekel, I know. I know how you are acting. And you have come up short. Parson, now I act. I'm acting by taking now from you. Verse 29. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, 
was slain. I read the first part of that, and it's like they put the robe on Daniel and the gold on Daniel. It's like, are, are you people insane? Did you not hear what Daniel just promised? And it's almost like they're celebrating, isn't it? I'm like, woohoo, Daniel, Daniel figured out the riddle. Let's celebrate and put him in, put him in charge. It, doesn't that just seem bizarre? But can I tell you that that's how pride is, and that's what our sin does? It is bizarre how we try to, to navigate through those things. But on this night, it was game over for Belshazzar. This is where pride ends. Now, I told you last week, the New Testament also speaks to pride. I showed you a verse from Philippians about how pointed the Apostle Paul was about our pride. Um, I want to show you another verse in the New Testament as we, as we unpack this. James chapter 4, verse 6 says, He gives us more grace. That's God. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Now, come on. It's just another place in the Bible where it's like, just in case you're wondering, God opposes the proud. So unless you want to set yourself up against the Lord of heaven, pride is not where you want to walk. This is, this is not where you want your heart to be. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace. He gives favor to those who are humble. Some of you are familiar with the name Jim Collins. Um, he is a author, speaker, consultant. Um, he wrote a book some years ago that really kind of became his um, notoriety point, um, Good to Great, right? You read Good to Great? It, it, he points out that for the book, um, his goal was to look at leaders of very successful corporations. And the question is, what kind of qualities do they have? And he said, I admit going in, I'm thinking it's got to be things like charisma. I mean, it's got to be. When you look at what it takes to run these companies and just the energies, it's, it's got to be things like that. But he said, once all the research was done, he said, actually, the leading characteristic in all of these most successful leaders of great organizations, it was humility. He said, because in all those organizations where there was really life and they really thrived, it's because the leader was not putting themselves in the middle of the picture, but that leader actually celebrated when the hearts came alive of the people for who worked for him or her. When they were benefited, that's what really made that leader want to, to do even more. That's what made them want to give even more. It's like, yeah, that's what God said all along. The life is found in humility, not in pride. So let's walk away with a few lessons. I think Belshazzar has some powerful lessons for us that it would be crazy for us just to read the story and go, wow, that, that's a crazy story, and not at least go, there are some lessons here. Here's, here's lesson number one. Your role is temporary. Your role is temporary. Now, some of you know that this life is temporary. Um, some of you at least attend a funeral every once in a while, and you are reminded of that fact. Um, it, I, I often say it is one of the blessings of my life 
that I actually preach a funeral um, fairly often, and it really does ground me to the truth that this life is not all there is. But I think we also need to realize the same is true about seasons in our life. It's temporary. Um, In other words, there are seasons where you have the opportunity to make a great impact, have a great influence in a certain arena, and then that is gone. Parenting? Parenting. It's there for a season. It is a role that we are given to play for a season, and then hopefully if we do that half right, right, those kids, they grow up. Now, it's not like they may not listen to you anymore, but you understand what I'm saying. There is a season where they are in your household. There is a season where your influence, where your impact is different, but that is temporary because it really does change. Um, it's true for wherever you work, a place of employment. I mean, you, you name it, some of you are on teams right now. Some of you, you're in certain situations. It's temporary. It's for a season. Psalm chapter 90 verse 12 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. God, teach us to live today as though I understand this is temporary. Teach, teach us to live as though I understand this season that I have been placed in, this role that I have been given in this season, it's just, it's for a while. But ultimately, we're, we're going to stand face to face, right, with him in regards to the seasons and the roles that we've been given. I really like um, reading um, a guy named Simon Sinek. Simon Sinek is a consultant, author, blogger, um, does some leadership stuff, and I, I like um, reading him. He tells a story about being at a uh, conference. And at this particular conference he's attending, uh, the speaker, one of the speakers, is the former Undersecretary of Defense for the United States of America, right? The former Undersecretary of Defense. And so he says he was in the crowd, so Simon Sinek's in the crowd, he's, he's listening to the undersecretary uh, begin to speak, he's on the stage, the, the room is full of people, and he said, I noticed that, that he had a styrofoam cup, and it was obvious that he had coffee in the styrofoam cup, and as he was beginning to speak, he, would, he took a sip, and, and in a moment he said he just paused. And he said he looked at his cup of coffee, and he took another sip, And he paused again, and then he totally broke away from the script that he was to share that day. And this is the story he told. He said, I was here a year ago, spoke at this conference a year ago. He said, they they booked my flight, um, got me business class, which was really nice, Um, arrived at the airport, uh, there was somebody there, you know, waiting to, to, to meet me, had, had my name on the sign. You know, the whole deal, you see every once in a while in the airport, there's somebody holding the sign, had my, had my name on the sign, escorted me to an amazing car, which drove me to the hotel, 
that I was to stay in. When I got to the hotel, the manager of the hotel was there to, to meet me at the door, had, had actually already checked me in so that I was you know, free to go to the room. They, they grabbed my luggage, handled my luggage, took it to a, a, a wonderful room, beautiful room. I, I slept great in the morning, woke up to have someone again waiting on me, an amazing car, took me to the conference, brought me in the back entrance so that I could be escorted straight to the green room. And when I walked into the green room, they, they handed me a just beautiful porcelain mug of great coffee. He said, um, this year, he said, uh, I, booked, I booked my own flight, flew coach. And um, when I got to the airport, there was, there was nobody there uh, to, to meet me. So I got a taxi, took the taxi to a hotel. Um, I was not checked in, and so checked, check, checked in to the hotel, brought my luggage up to the room, uh, slept well, but the next morning there, there still was no car. Um, so I, again, got a taxi took it to the conference, walked in the front door, uh, eventually wound my way back to the back of the building where I found the, the green room. And once I stepped into the green room, I, I was kind of looking around for a minute and finally just asked someone, hey, where's the coffee? And they pointed to the coffee maker in the corner with the styrofoam cups. And this is what the speaker said. He said, the difference is that last year, I was the Undersecretary of Defense. This year, I am the former Undersecretary of Defense. And then he said, the porcelain mug was never meant for me. The styrofoam cup was always meant for me. The porcelain mug was meant for the role, not the person. He said all of the things that you enjoy in the particular role that you now hold, whatever that role is, they are deserving of the role. Because really we are all people of the styrofoam cup. It's really what we all deserve. Now, I love that story, because if you transfer that over into a spiritual realm, if you transfer that over into who we are as a people in relation to God, let's just make it clear, none of us deserve. We don't. If you are in this room, and you are what the Bible calls saved, you are saved by the grace of God. If you are in this room and you have been completely forgiven, praise, but we ain't praising you, we're praising who? God. 
If you are in this room and you are a child of God, fully embraced, a part of his family, the reason that you are is by grace. God is the giver of all good things, not because they are deserved, but because we are loved. See, the roles that we are given are temporary. And we are to steward what the Bible calls steward those roles. It means it's not yours, it's actually his. But you have been put in a particular season and you have been given a particular role to use those things, to manage those things under the standard of the grace that he gave it to you. So here's my point. If you are, let's say you are artistic, you're an artistic person, right? You have that creative abilities and people look at you and go, oh my goodness, I wish I could draw like that or sing like that or whatever it is like that. It's like you, you just have that artistic ability. Where did you get that? God. And even in your development of those things, he gave you the mind. He gave you the energy. He gave you what you have to, to work at those things and develop those things. It, it came from him. You are to use the platform that you have been given to manage those gifts in the standard of the same grace that it was given to you. If you're an athlete, right, you got abilities, you got strength, you got speed, whatever that is, where did you get that? You got it from God. And he even gave you the strength to be able to develop those things, to, to improve on those things. You are to use the platform that you have been given to manage what he has entrusted to you for this season in the same, in the same way that that grace has been given to you. If you are academic, some of you are crazy smart, some of you have an, a, a, an amazing memory, right? And so school for you is really easy. You may choose to work hard at it because you really want to excel, but the truth is you could sort of like sleep through half of it and you have a memory and you have an ability that you could make good enough grades that you could just roll through. But the truth is you've been given quite a mind and you've been given an incredible memory and where'd you get that? God, he is the giver of all good gifts and you are to use that season, this season and this arena to do with those things. It's the same standard of grace that you have been given. You're not to use those things just to make you look good. You use those things in order to love others and they know why you do. Now, it's not enough just to love other people. And other people go, that is just a really good guy. That she is just a really nice lady. Well, treats everybody with respect, love. No, you are to love in such a way that they also know why you love. You have been loved. You have been given grace. And now you use this season and you use those gifts to bless other people. It's temporary. Second lesson, you're always accountable. You're always accountable for words, for actions, for thoughts. Um, here's the big question. 
And I've warned you it was coming, but once we read it, it's like you knew we had to deal with this. You ready? Here's the big question. Are there things in your life that God calls holy, but you have treated as unholy? That's what Belshazzar did. That's what Nebuchadnezzar did. Your role, if you are a follower of Jesus, your role is holy. You are set apart to glorify him. And so don't take that role which is holy and use it for something that is unholy. How about your body, right? If you are a follower of Jesus, who lives in you? The Spirit of God lives in you. Talk about the tent of meeting, right? Now we don't go to a, to a building to meet with him. He now dwells within you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so don't use that which God has declared as holy by being so absorbed with the approval of other people that you would use something that God declares as holy as unholy. Don't do that. Your marriage. God says the way that you love is supposed to reflect how he loves you. Don't use that which he has declared holy as unholy. I want to challenge you out of this series. I mean, this week, be willing. Be willing to ask God the question. Be willing to ask somebody else that cares about you the question, God, is there something? Is there anything? that you declare holy, that I'm not treating as holy. Help me see. Here's the third lesson, last one. God will act accordingly. God will act accordingly. He opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. That's how he acts. He acts accordingly. He opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Sometimes people say, when it comes to this pride issue, people just have to hit rock bottom. No, they don't. No, you don't. You don't have to hit rock bottom. You can actually see it from a distance. You can see it from somebody else's life. You can learn it from Belshazzar's life. And you can humble yourself before we get humbled. He opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. I'm challenging us to pray. God, whatever whatever pride exists, God, kill it. Because I'm telling you, we're either going to pray, God, kill the pride in me, or the pride in me will kill. That's the way it works. Either he kills the pride, or the pride kills. That's what happens. And then replace it, God, with something beautiful of you. Psalm 51 says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I'm really grateful that the psalmist put that in there so that I know that it's not just me and it's not just you. This is, this is what we as human beings, we will be wrestling with, we will be fighting, but we got to see the consequences. God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. You ever, you ever had the writing on the wall? Okay, maybe it like wasn't actually a hand that wrote on your living room wall. But you ever seen the writing on the wall? Like when your parents said to you, we really do love you, but this is a warning. You gotta, don't, don't walk this way or there are going to be huge consequences. It is the handwriting on the wall. Your spouse says, 
There is distance between us. There's distance between us. We better do something. That's the handwriting on the wall. Your friend looks you in the eye and says, you are taking this too far. You need to be careful. Handwriting on the wall. Maybe it's the accountant who looks you in the eye and says, man, you are headed down a slippery slope here. You, 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 are, you are on the edge of some illegal territory, handwriting on the wall. Maybe it's the bartender who said, you've had enough, handwriting on the wall. It's your supervisor who said, you've got to get a grasp on your anger. Or maybe it's the judge who said, now it's time for some anger management classes, handwriting on the wall. I'm begging you, don't ignore the handwriting on the wall. Pride kills. That's where it always ends. And it is connected to an enemy who steals, who kills, and destroys. And pride is always the thing that leads us to walk away from God. I want to uh, read a poem to you. I want to uh, pray for you. And then we're going to respond today. And hopefully as God is speaking to us today, I mean, maybe, maybe there are some of you that um, you really are trying to, to walk things out right and you're trying to push pride away and you're trying to love like he calls you to love and you feel like there's a fiery furnace in front of you. Well, I get it. Don't be surprised. He didn't lie to us. He said this is, this is sometimes what happens. Maybe there are some of us that we can see the pride and we can feel it. And it's time to just be honest with God and go, God, I, I want you to kill, kill any pride in me before it kills me. God, I want to know life. Maybe there are some of you that you've, you've never entrusted your life to a God who loves you this much. Good news, he gives grace to the humble. So in a minute, I'll pray. As we respond, as we sing, we'll be over here on the side. We would be honored to pray for you, encourage you, whatever we can do today. Here's the poem. It was written by a lady named Beth Moore. It's called Pride, I Am a Cheater. And here's how it reads. My name is Pride. I am a cheater. I cheat you out of your God-given destiny because you demand your own way. I cheat you of your contentment because you deserve better than this. I cheat you of knowledge because you already know it all. I cheat you of healing because you are too full of you to forgive. I cheat you of holiness because you refuse to admit when you're wrong. I cheat you of vision because you'd rather look in the mirror than out the window. I cheat you of genuine friendship because nobody's gonna know the real you. I cheat you of love because real romance demands sacrifice. I cheat you of greatness in heaven because you refuse to wash another's feet on earth. I cheat you of God's glory because I convinced you to seek your own. My name is Pride. I am a cheater. You like me because you think I'm always looking out for you untrue. I'm looking to make a fool of you. 
God has so much for you, I admit. But don't worry. If you stick with me, you'll never know. God, I thank you again for a crystal clear story today. A story of how you see our pride. A God who opposes those who are proud. God, I'm, I'm praying today that where you see it in us, God, you'd kill it before it can do its work of destroying us. God, replace it with something beautiful of you. God, I believe there really are some folks here today who are probably trying to walk things out in humility and they are, they are feeling beat up. God, whether it's from their family or where they work or whatever, whatever the case may be, maybe, maybe the furnace feels really hot at the moment. God, I'm asking that you'd give them eyes that can see and faith that will enable them to continue to trust and that they may stay humble before you. God, may we use this season and the roles that you have placed each of us in. God, may we do it with all our heart, with the view that one day we will stand before you. And we want to be able to say, with the way that we have been loved, we used what you gave us to do the same for the people around us. God, may our pride die. And may your great name be seen. If we boast, we're going to boast in your grace. If we boast, we're going to boast in the forgiveness that you've given us. If we're going to boast, we're going to boast in a new life that we didn't earn. You gave it to us by your son at the cross. Today, we boast in a cross. May our lives tell such a story. It's in the great name of Jesus that we ask it today. Amen. Let's stand together. I love you guys. Let's sing.